It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show, James Van And we are live. Welcome back to the working week. This is car con carne. I'm James Van Osdell, doing this from home. Now, here's the thing. Next week, I, I promise it has been foretold, Carcon Carne will return to the car next week. That said, a lot of really good stuff happening remotely this week. Uh, we'll get to tonight's guest in, in a second or two. Tomorrow night on the show, Dan Vapid and the Cheats return to Carcon Carne. Uh, excellent band, Dan Vapid. Lots of history. Lots of people love Dan Vapid. Dan Vapid and the Cheats tomorrow. Comedian Felonious Monk returns to the podcast for the first time in six years. That's happening on Thursday. Then on Friday, Joe Bandelli, he is, he's heavily involved in movies. He produced the Hell House movie trilogy. And most recently, he directed a documentary on the Paranormal Activity franchise. The documentary is called Unknown Dimension. It just debuted on Paramount Plus. Joe Bandelli joining me on Friday. I'm not letting go of Halloween. We're going to talk about Paranormal Activity this coming Friday. And like I said, next week, we're back in the car starting on Monday with the long running, successful, locally beloved Hush Drops, the band, the Hush Drops joining me on Monday. As for tonight, Boomy is a newishly launched restaurant in Urban Space Food Hall, 15 West Washington. It is Indian cuisine. And joining me to talk about Boomy, to talk about Indian cuisine, talk about Diwali, which is coming up this week. I have co-founders, Suku and Ajit Kalra the co-owners of Boomi. Good evening. Happy Monday. Nice to see you both. Thank you for having us. This is such fun and exciting to be this Monday evening. Thanks, you know, James. And a very happy Diwali to you, to all your viewers, uh, Indian and global. Well, you know, when you, when you do an interview, the goal as an interviewer is to try to make it interesting to people who don't know about or think they're interested in the topic. And my goal, as we talk tonight about your restaurant, Boomi, is to kind of demystify Indian cuisine for those who think it's un unapproachable or who just think, oh, it's probably too spicy for me. So let's start there. Boomi has a very trim, a very welcoming menu. And I feel like for years, if someone had an interest in sampling Indian cuisine, it was kind of hard to know where to start. What defines Indian cuisine for you? Oh, sure. <laughs> so I have a deep connection with Indian uh, cuisine because I'm a second generation, uh, you know, restaurateur, so to speak, my father being the first and quite the pioneer that he was. Um, Indian cuisine unequivocally is the most lavish and most complex cuisine in the world. It's commonplace for families cooking in their home for the evening meal on a weekday to have about 30 plus ingredients in their food. It's just the nature of what it is. Um, I think it obviously stems, if you look back at history from the fact that, you know, the, the great plains of India were so fertile. The joke was, if you, you know, eat a fruit and spit out the seed, there'll be a tree there the next day. So all this bounty of herbs and spices would grow everywhere and people didn't know what to do with it. So they started mashing it up and putting in all their food. And of course, that, you know, lavishness comes through and like having, you know, dozens of ingredients in every recipe. But at the same time, the 
joy of Indian food does not have to be reserved for advanced cooks. I think that's foolish to think that. Indian food is, always will be very accessible. It just hasn't become mainstay in the United States yet, but we're already seeing a shift and a trending in that right direction. And Saku and I wanted to kind of give that a little nudge. In fact, thank you for calling out the simplicity of our menu. We try to make it simple. It's not a, you know, build your own um, bar kind of situation like a Chipotle, because we want it to be guides, so to speak, if you if I will be so bold as to use that word, guides to what is simple, but pure elevated Indian food. Um, and of course, we started with, you know, we went back to the drawing board and said, what do we want to f- feed people? And we thought, you know, our favorite food to eat is just grilled meats, kebabs from India. Why is it not out there everywhere? It's crazy to me. Uh, and I think part of it is also because I don't think it's been done right for our uh, American audience. Um, Suku and I are both a product of both cultures, the US and India. So I think it was only fitting for us to be able to marry and synergize these two divergent tastes to bring about something that's very approachable. And that's what we've done with Bhumi. But what we also wanted to do is take away, we insisted on taking away the stigma of Indian food being cheap curry houses, you know, inexpensive, but, you know, low quality ingredients. Absolutely not. Everything we do at Bhumi is pasture raised, grass fed, organic. That's it. The cleanest food you will be able to source and put in your bodies comes at Bhumi. We don't put anything out of a bag. French fries, we cut the potato with a knife. Um, Bell peppers, cutting it ourselves by hand every single day. Every sauce is made in-house. Idea being, why not? Let's bring that freshness. Let's pronounce this elevated way of eating kebabs and grilled Indian foods. And let's do it by scratch so that nobody, absolutely nobody is going to walk away feeling bloated or overly heavy. Like all of the, think about all of the stigmas and stereotypes around eating Indian food. Gone. We've just fixed that. You mentioned the, you know, a meal could have 30 ingredients, which you, you can taste that kind of complexity when you eat Indian food. Another component I think that people think of when it comes to Indian food is heat. How important is hotness, that, that kind of spice? I think a lot come to us you know, considering it can be too spicy and that. And there's some people who are like, okay, I, I think I'm going to stay away from your food just because it'll be spicy, the heat, you know? Um, so that's, that's, you know, that's an interesting conversation we always have where we're like, we have all the flavor because you know, all the herbs and spices can give you, bring so much flavor without it being, you know, hot, you know. Um, and so once people try it out and they're like, yes, we love the flavor without it being, you know, too hot and something we couldn't palate. So it's been it's been an interesting experience to, you know, like uh, talk through our menu. And, you know, again, like uh, like Ajit mentioned, like being guides of sorts, because a lot of people will be like, I've never really tried Indian food, but I don't know where to start, you know? And and that's what is so exciting to be a part of this venture because, you know, you're we're kind of like helping them, you know, walk through 
what can be so delicious of a cuisine that a lot of people haven't, you know, tried out before. Yeah, I, I've grown up in and around, lived in and around the north side of Chicago my whole life. Devon Avenue always seemed too intimidating. Like there are dozens of Indian restaurants there. I don't, I don't know where to even start, which one to go to. There is, it's an intimidation thing. It's, it's a cultural thing. I don't, I don't know the cuisine. I don't know the menu items. I don't know what's good and what's not. And it's tough. I mean, I like the idea of just kind of bringing Indian food down to its, to its essence and presenting it the way you're doing it here. Thank you. Thank Absolutely. you. I mean, we're doing a basic polka roti as one of the bases. You know, uh, polka roti is something that's eaten in all of North India on a daily, meal by meal. It's something that's, you know, not outside of India. You know, people consider naan as the carb that most people eat with Indian food. And that's not the case living in India. So that's something we, we also want to about that it's you know the grilled meats that are so popular in India, polka roti, which is so popular in India, you know, and it's it's as mainstream as it gets, but it's not popular, you know, not known outside there. So it's been fun to do that. Let's talk a little bit about the menu. I mean, Ajit, you mentioned Chipotle, and I think it's a good point of reference conceptually because you kind of you choose your protein. You add sauces to it. I mean, it's it, similar, like quick serve concept. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we so in specific to Bhumi, we actually have sauces that already pair with that particular protein. Each protein is marinated in its own unique marinade that is designed for that particular protein: fish for fish, red meat for red meat poultry for poultry, paneer for paneer. That's just how we do it. And then we already have sauces that are configured to complement those particular marinades and those, therefore, those proteins. So we don't actually offer a choice, but we're we're noticing already, now we are truly brand new. Um, We're 35 days old (laughs) and we're noticing already. Thank you. Uh, Especially our regular patrons and, you know, God bless them. There's about a dozen of them who come in at least three to four times a week and they know their way around the menu, like the, like as well as we do. So they will mix and match sauces, but by far, most of our patrons allow us to lead the way with the pairings of the sauce with the protein. So it's not where they can actually walk through a line and say, okay, I want a polka roti with um, a a steak um, kebab and then put in a bhumi sauce and leave out the the citrus, uh, organic citrus slaw. So that's, that's not how it goes. They just tell us what they'd like. Um, basically between the grain bowl, the salad bowl, or the polka, and they just call out the protein. I love it. And I, I've got to say the chimichutney is the one, the, the one sauce that caught my eye as, oh, I really want to try that. <laughs> it's been quite a hit. But I will say, James, the minute you're back on the road, I'm going to have to insist that you please come see us so you yes. can actually have a frame of reference. Yes, I, absolutely done. Book it. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> but talking about the proteins, pro, proteins, proteins, um, some things you might expect, chicken, salmon, steak, beef, prawns, paneer cheese, which is delicious. But for someone who hasn't had it, what is paneer cheese? So who do you want to address that one? So paneer cheese is 
in cheese, which is a very mild cheese. A lot of people, when they order and they, they don't know what it is, they, they're like, why didn't this cheese melt? Now, this cheese doesn't melt. It's not a melty cheese. It's, again, like it's a mild, fresh cheese that, uh, you know, it's, it's really um, takes in all the flavors of the marinades that we, you know, use and um, use 24 hours on it. And it's super delicious. And it's actually one of the, it's actually doing better than steak, you know, um, on our menu. So it's been uh, very cool to see that. Because we thought steak would be the second favorite of all people after chicken is always super popular wherever it is. Yeah, you're, um, you're in the Midwest. You're in Chicago. I, I would have expected the same thing. Exactly. But paneer is actually doing like the second best. So, yeah. In my head, I, I always kind of thought that Indian food leaned more vegetarian. Is that a regional thing? Is that a misconception of mine? No, I don't think it's a misconception. If you look at the, the subcontinent of India at large, or I should say just the country, because the rest of the countries that make up the subcontinent are actually quite carnivorous. But if you just look at the country, there are a lot of people who do prescribe to the philosophy of vegetarianism. Um, having said that, there are more humans eating meat in India than any other country in the world, just because there's 1.4, except for China, there's 1.4 billion Indians. And even if 60% of them eat meat, that's more humans in sheer volume than any other country put together outside of China. So, so meat is definitely commonplace. Beef is limited to the populations um, that are not Hindu. Um, so that's about 20% of the country, 80% of the country is Hindu. So that's where you have some of those, uh, you know, um, some of those anecdotal um, messaging around, you know, Indians don't eat meat and so on and so forth. Um, having said that, this was actually observed in an Eater article recently about us as well, that in the US, by far, there are uh, a lot, a lot of our um, you know, American counterparts are exposed to Indians who are truly vegetarian. There's a big population of Indians in the U.S. that are vegetarian, and therefore it kind of, you know, kind of leads to that understanding of in the Indian palate. Um, obviously, you know, that's if, if you consider, you know, the, the, how many millions of Indians there are in the U.S., majority of them still eat meat. So that is that is also a fact. Um, so it's just it's just about being able to proliferate, you know, this idea of grilled meats out into the American palate and out into the American market that I think is going to balance out uh, that understanding of the Indian diet. And going back to what you were saying earlier about the sourcing of your meats, I mean, this concept or this notion of ecological responsibility that you subscribe to, I think that's, you know, as... As a diner, I, I really appreciate that stuff. Thank you. Um, I, I will request Suku to talk about, you know, her philosophy on, um, you know, why our footprint should be, uh, you know, so small and trying to go carbon neutral because she's really driven that for Bhumi. So Suku, if maybe you can kind of walk us through how we source our salmon and how we source our chicken and paneer, I, I think that'll be helpful to you know guide the the comment that james just made sure i mean yeah it, it this is how we take care of things at home you know we're very ecologically conscious we have like five different bins at 
one recycling, one this, one, you know. So, and when we were starting a restaurant, it, one of the biggest, you know, challenges was how do we something where, uh, you know, the restaurant industry is known for major, um, you know, waste. And so we do something that where we are able to somehow, you know, lower our um, And so we decided that first, the way we eat at home is how we want to have our patrons enjoy their foods as well through us. Um, so sourcing to the right places, be it the MSC certified salmon that we get, or, you know, the raised chicken. Um, and and just, just to interrupt for a second, MSC for the viewers who don't know is the Marine Stewardship Council. It's the authority, at least here, recognized in North America that really oversees the harvesting of oceans and tries to fight that, um, uh, you know, basically killing off and extincting populations marine life. Our kids are in the background. Um, and so, I mean, it was, it was very important for us to find the right sources, talking to the farmers, making sure, you know, where our food is coming from. If, if, you know, it's being done ethically, you know, it's being sourced. Mm -hmm. um, our packaging as well, the same, you know, um, the eth ethical aspect was very important, you know, for us. Um, yeah. So again, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Suku and Ajit of Bumi, which is 15 West Washington Urban Space Food Hall, right downtown, right in the heart of everything, really. This week is Diwali, uh, five days for Diwali, right? Yeah, which day, which, which Minimum <laughs> essential five days. <laughs> I, I mean, pardon my ignorance. What I know about Diwali is there's a day where you eat like crazy and there are fireworks on another day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Diwali is so huge in its festivity in India. If you were to combine, the easiest analogy that I can give you, if you were to combine Thanksgiving and the holidays, that is Christmas or whatever you celebrate, Kwanzaa or whatever, at that point, you would compress that into one holiday and that would be Diwali. Literally, the nation of India slows down and starts this festive celebration a month before the, the actual Diwali day, and it progresses on for the entire 30 days. It's, it's truly extraordinary. And so day three is the feast? I'd, I'd say day three from Diwali, right, Suku? Mm -hmm. November 4th this year is Diwali. This, that's the main night of you know, um, people do special prayers, you know, have a feast at home. Um, and that's considered the, the new year for Hindus. Uh, and other, other communities in India celebrate it as well. Uh, like the Sikhs, you know, the religion that both Ajit and I were born into. Um, and, and um, you know, other religions. But uh, that November 4th this year is going to be that the, the feast night and when people, you know, have all their prayers, wear beautiful outfits, you know, enjoy their time with the family. So, yeah. When we were growing up, James, Diwali, um, really the, the three nights, the night before, two nights before and the night of Diwali was really 
kind of the jam-packed, action-packed scenario. You had all of the fireworks. You had all of the feasting, the get-togethers. Suku mentioned prayer services. Yep, it was that compressed into those three days for sure. But the festivities lasted for weeks. The parties yeah. lasted for weeks. Yeah, because there's people play cards and very auspicious cards and like, you know, with money, like, you know, you'll have good luck and stuff like that. So it's 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 a long month of festivities. So a lot of drinking too. <laughs> I would imagine. So Boomi started as a ghost kitchen. Uh, as so many restaurants, uh, this has become a really viable path for restaurateurs in the modern day. How did it feel? What did you say? 36 days in the new space? 30? Yeah. 30. How did it feel to, to move into the space, a space where you could directly interact with customers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had originally branded ourselves as a tanduria when we were a ghost kitchen over at uh, the hatchery. Uh, when we, we actually rebranded ourselves as Bhumi when we came out into this physical space that was interactive with you know, live customers. Uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. I think both Suku and I really feed off of the energy of those interactions with our patrons. Uh, to us, that is absolutely the most joyous element of the restaurant industry. Um, it's, you know, for some people, it's the Zen-like cooking experience. For others, it's the creativity around recipe creation, you know, experimenting like a lab. All kinds of cool stuff is out there. But for Suku and I, I think it is truly the dynamic of experiencing people's joy through our food. So it's that interactive experience. It, it, it is a total game changer. I don't think we could have forever worked as a ghost kitchen because I think we would have wanted that interaction always. And the, the, I mean, you're in good company in urban space. Budlong's there. Edzo's is there. I mean, that's for so long. I, I've worked in and around the loop for so long throughout my career. The loop has always struggled for good lunch, good, easy lunch places that aren't fast food. Like the, this seems like an oasis right in the middle of everything. The urban it's space. And surprisingly enough, we do really well on Fridays and uh, Saturday evenings as well. Like people are coming coming for theater. evening dinner. Yeah, absolutely. Theater, after office. You know, people are just enjoying it right off states. We have a lot during the weekends as well. So it's, it's it, you know, it's not just crowd that we're pulling in. We're getting people from you know theater shopping as well as the office spaces that's encouraging because my perception of the loop has always been it rolls up at like 4 30 on a friday see you back on monday but right. that's, and especially after the pandemic i don't know or toward the end of the pandemic uh i don't know what habits are like anymore so that's that's really that, that's a an encouraging sign just in general for culture in chicago in james you're yeah getting a little stepping out, you know, going dining uh, in places and stuff. So, yeah, it is encouraging for sure. But James, you're not wrong, depending on where you are in the loop. So we were originally looking at, before we actually signed our um, contract with Urban Space, we were looking at a brick and mortar standalone location. And we were looking at the financial district. It is actually true that in the financial district, everything does shut down around five yeah. o'clock. It doesn't, it just, there's nothing. There's, it's a it's a ghost town. So there are definitely pockets in the loop which are exactly how you describe them. I think eventually 
the reason why we went with urban space was this location had what we considered the trifecta. You had the tourist crowd, uh, especially in the summer and Christmas uh, seasons. You had year-round um, the theater crowd, the patrons from right. the opera house to uh, the Cadillac and everything else. And then finally, you had 12 million square feet of office occupied office space pre-pandemic within one square block. Once you have that trilogy, if you, so to speak, you're in good shape. You don't have to yeah. ever really see a slow time. For sure. Do you, do you foresee in Europe, Europe pretty much gets Indian food. Like their, their, their palates have made it to Indian cuisine. Do you see a time when Americans are at, at a level that Europe's at with going out for Indian Yes. Yes. We are where London was in the 70s, maybe in the 80s. That's where we are today. Absolutely, it will be the case. Um, somebody will come up with a model that presents Indian food to all Americans. And I think that has been a big core uh, mission statement for Saku and I. Uh, and that's why we're trying to simplify the menu with our next concept, whether it comes two years from now or four years from now, no idea. We're still trying to find our sea legs here sure. uh, with our next concept. We'll try to make it even simpler. We'll learn from Bhumi. It may not be as elevated and, uh, you know, as niche as Bhumi in some ways with the quality of the sourcing and such, but we want absolutely to truly bring about the joys of that complex Indian cuisine we talked about to every American palate. And I love that's, it. that's a, that's a mission right there. That is a mission statement. I it love is. it. It is. <laughs> it's, it's bold and it's bold, but it's doable. I mean, really yeah. someone's got to do it. Why can't it be boomy? Why can't it be you too? Why can't it be us? And we being, a product of these two cultures are perfectly poised to deliver that. Um, you know, it's not just about my father's legacy. It's not just about Suku and my obsessive instinct as foodies and enophiles between it's, it's everything. It's, you know, uh, it's a core part of our being, being half American <laughs> in terms of my time here of bringing obviously citizenships, uh, and half Indian from my heritage. And, you know, there is, there is a way, a path that can be forged that puts Indian food, whether it's to us or others, but we want to be able to allow people to experience and experiment with Indian food over the next decade so that it can be part of their, you know, weekly, monthly rotation in, in, in the American diet. And without completely, you know, making it, that it doesn't taste authentic and that's that's very important to us we want to present it in it in all its flavor without you know it being aggressive you know on the spite the heat and the greasiness that's the food that understand you know growing up in india and that's the food that we want to represent and you know we're people are loving it you know when they try it they appreciate it and it, it's been very rewarding to see that you know it's being well accepted and yeah yeah Ajit, we, you've mentioned your father a, a couple times and I, i'd be remiss to not bring him up more formally 
in the interview before I let you go. Here's a man who is a major force in Indian cuisine. The recipes that are available at Boomi are essentially from an unfinished book he wrote, right? An unfinished book that he and I were writing together. I, I talked to my dad and he, he knew, you know, at, at one point I was telling him, dad, I think I'm going to quit my corporate job and go into culinary school. And he's like, do it. <laughs> so he was always very encouraging of, you know, my absolute obsessive passion with uh, the culinary arts and food in general, consumption especially. Uh, and, you know, I talked to him, I said, you know, I, I love your book. I cook from it all the time. I just find it intimidating. I find it daunting and complex to a point where uh, I, I can't present it to uh, a friend of mine who's not an advanced cook. I said, dad, I want to write a book with you where the learnings that I've taken from being your son, knowing your food, knowing Indian food, knowing, um, you know, cuisines of the world. And I want to create a book that's simple and yet brings about, you know, a lot of the traditional kebabs and other things that Jake's presented to the world. And he said, absolutely. Do you want to write it? I'm like, yeah, I'll write it. So I started writing it and, you know, he would direct me and guide me. Uh, and I would basically create my own recipes and my dad would tweak them here and there. And he said, yeah, this goes, this works. This doesn't work. The man was encyclopedic knowledge, absolute powerhouse, right? When it came to Indian food. And uh, what I was able to do is I was able to take some of the ingredients that weren't available to Indian cooks at the time, like San Marzano tomatoes from Italy or a Greek olive oil that has its own unique flavor that actually enhances some of the flavors coming out of the spice mixes I do. And, uh, you know, I introduced certain spices into blends that we weren't seeing in India, like a smoked Hungarian paprika, things like that. So I built my own masalas, so to speak, my own spice blends. And I said, this is the book I want to put out with my dad. And my dad guided my hand and he tweaked my recipes where he thought that they would have more impact. And I was, I was writing this book and, you know, he was going to co-author and all of that good stuff. And of course, unfortunately, he passed away in the middle. I, it's still an unfinished book. Uh, the recipes are still all, you know, in my head, in Saku's head. We've worked on them. We've refined them. And we brought them out as Bhumi for now, a few of them. But eventually, I mean, of course, this is going to be many. The book is going to have many, many more recipes than uh, the 10 things that we have on our menu today. But yes, that was the inception of it. And absolutely today, if somebody was to ask me, why did you get into food unequivocally? It was my father's influence. That's awesome. Again, Bhumi is at 15 West Washington in the Urban Space Food Hall. It is right downtown. If you're working in the loop, if you're visiting the loop, I mean, it's 15 West Washington. It's it's right there. It's right there on the north side of the loop. You can't miss it. Uh, I love what you're doing. Congratulations on opening less than two months ago, less than a month and a half ago. Uh, onward and upward from here. Thank you, James. Thank you so much for having